Report for October 15th, 2014. Tonight on the show, we have Wendy Atkinson, the programming manager from the Chan Center, to talk about their Beyond Words series. Arts reporter Danielle Piper is in the studio to talk about the upcoming dance performance, Quantum, and play her interview with choreography, Gilles Jobin. Plus, I will tell you for sure this week about the Rodney Graham exhibition at the Charles H. Scott Gallery. Then I want you to stay tuned for All Ears coming up at 6 p.m. Hi, ho- hope you're doing well today. We're just going to jump right into it with Wendy. Wendy, are you there? Hi, Sarah. How are you? Good. Hi. Thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome. So tell me about, I know you put on a lot of events at the Chan Center, but tell me specifically about the Beyond Words series. Sure. We started this off, I think, the first uh, series, the first season was 2012, and it started off originally the idea was sort of writers and music and then it evolved into just the power of words and the words in performance and so the series has evolved over the past three years the first year we did john k sampson um he was doing a singer-songwriter version of his um, performance. And we did a show called Gender Failure, which uh, was with the artist, uh, the writer Ivan Coyote, and the musician Ray Spoon. And so that was the first year. The second year, we did a couple of shows with Shane Coison. So, again, the power of words and spoken word and things like that. Um, we decided for the third year we wanted to do something a little different. And we thought, how about we take something, um, you know, a, a topic and a person who more likely would present what they're doing in a lecture format. And let's see if we added music to it and just, again, just to play around with the idea of words and performance. And so it was a meeting with a group of us. We're throwing around ideas. And the idea of Severin Suzuki came up and the idea of Tanya Tagak, who's an Inuit throat singer. And it's like, okay, they're both interested in environmental issues, sustainability issues, um, and let's throw them together and see what happens. They're very different the way they approach using words in their work. Um, and, in fact, Tanya doesn't really use words at all in, in a traditional sense, 
but we just wanted to see what would happen if we threw them together. And um, as far as we know, they're aware of each other, but we don't know if they've actually ever met. And so this may be the first time they're, in fact, rehearsing as we speak, um, the first time they've ever met, and they're working out the details of this performance. So it's going to be completely brand new. We don't know what's going to happen. We're really um, curious to see what they're going to work out between the two of them. Wow, that's really exciting. So it sounds like over the years you've had some really good events, like the gender failure was a huge mm-hmm. event. That was very successful. And then Shane Coisen's in the media these days with Stick Boy, the mm-hmm. opera. And then, yeah, like a major coup to get Tanya Tagak since she just and, won the Polaris Music Prize. Well, and that was a complete coincidence. That was, I mean, it was fabulous. Nobody had any idea she was going to win it. And, of course, we booked this ages ago. We booked this back in the spring. And so the timing couldn't be better for her win and then the connecting with this performance. So it's sold out? Totally sold out, both shows. Wow. That's yeah. really exciting. So, yeah, it's interesting that you kind of don't know what to expect from them, but I'm sure that they'll put together something really powerful. It will be. I mean, part of what they're going to do, they'll each have their own segment, um, but they also will be doing a collaboration as part of it, probably, you know, a half of it will be a collaboration of some sort. And of course, they've spoken and they've been talking about different ideas, but this today, right now, they're working out what that's going to look like. And that's the part where we'll see what they do, because again, they're doing such different things. We'll see how they combine those um, for this performance. I like the idea, you know, it's about the environment, which affects us all, but especially choosing sort of female voices to express and raise awareness about the environment, since there's something sort of feminine, traditionally, I guess, about how we view the earth. Yeah, and, and the other part that Severn was talking about, because when we first booked her, um, I was talking to her about what we were, you know, what would this show look like, and she wanted some idea of where the idea came from, just a little direction when we were first, um, you know, early days when we first booked this. And she was talking about ideas like um, tradition, voices that aren't traditionally heard, um, you know, democracy and people being really involved in what's happening in their world. So um, there's environmental issues, there's tons of other issues, but before you even get to specific issues like a pipeline or whatever, um, it's making sure people can be heard, making their voices heard in the mix of all the decisions that are being made. And she specifically referenced, of course, Aboriginal um, people, women, um, voices that aren't always heard. And so that was part of her perspective, too. So I think that will be part of um, what she's going to talk about tomorrow on Friday, is even before we get to the specifics of issues, uh, you need to make sure you're involved, you're heard, you're part of the democratic process of influencing decisions like this. Wow. So it's it's for sure going to be very powerful and exciting since it's sold out. And do you do all the programming for the Chan? Oh, no. Uh, this is my series. It's usually, Beyond Words is usually two things a year, uh, or in a, what we call season. Um, but for our main stage series that happens in the concert hall is our director of programming. Uh, her name is Joyce Hinton, so she does the programming for the larger venue, and I've been doing programming for the Telus Studio Theatre. So this performance is in our Black Box Theatre, um, and so I've been doing some programming in that smaller venue. Nice. And um, you've got a very special guest. I don't know how much the Chan Center is associated with this event, but I thought I saw it on the website. A very important special guest next week coming October 23rd. 
I'm just looking oh, at the 22nd? website. 22nd? The, the Dalai Lama? Yes. Yes, the 22nd. He's going to be at Thunderbird on the 23rd. Um, but he'll be at the Chan Center on the 22nd, and he'll be doing a talk. And that talk, the organizers made it absolutely for UBC students. They are the ones it was directed to, and you have to be a UBC student to be there. I mean, there's a handful of special guests, but it was really the whole intention of that event is to target UBC students. And again, that's sold out. Oh, too bad. I know. I think there'll be a stand up, standby line, so if you want okay. to take the chances and come down anyway... Uh, probably there might be a chance, no promises, but wow. you know, it's probably worth coming by anyway. Um, but it's, uh, yes, another special guest and it's his third time here. So he knows our venue well. Oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Just over the years, gradually, you know, he's, he has been here. This will be his third time. Wow. He's getting older though. So it's kind yeah. of like you want to grab the chance. Absolutely. And him. you don't get, I mean, even though he's been here three times, that's over many years. So he, it's not... Uh, he's not a person you get to see every day. And especially for an event that's really for students, um, that's the first time they've done it this way where it's specifically for UBC students. Wow, that's wonderful. And anything else coming up that you know of that you're looking forward to at the Chan Center? I guess the next one, I think it's the following week, is Naomi Klein. So she's going to be here. She has a new book out. And she's being brought in. It's a a rental for us. But um, the Vancouver Institute, working with Green College, are bringing her in for a talk Oh, I can't remember the exact date. It might be October 26th. It's on our website. Um, so that's the next, after the Dalai Lama, um, that would be the next big thing, I think, um, coming up as well. Wow. And then you've got Adrian Clarkson. And we have Adrian Clarkson. So that's part of the CBC's Massey Lecture. And so she'll be here. It's actually in the evening after the Dalai Lama. So that's a big day for us. <laughs> it's hard act to follow, um, the Dalai Lama. <laughs> Right. And so she'll be here after that. And it's part of the CBC Massey Lecture, so it'll be recorded and it will be broadcast on CBC. And there's um, a book out in connection with um, her talk as well. And then the following Friday, the 24th, is the Contemporary Roma Experience, although it's, it's, it's held at the Cult. But mm-hmm. did the Chan Center help organize it? Yeah, that's, that is one of our events. It's part of a series that a colleague of mine organizes called Chan Center Connects. And what we do is we have uh, music concerts on the main stage, but we like to have events that connect with those events on the main stage. And so there can be talks, they can be films. We partner with the Cinematheque downtown. Uh, it can be lectures, sometimes with the artist, sometimes without. So this event, because the artist who's performing that weekend, um, Diego Asagala, I think yeah, that's how you yeah. pronounce it, um, He's very interested uh, in the whole Roma thing. That's his background. So there's, we're doing this event at the Cult that is specific to those issues. Because his concert, I don't know if he'll address it, but it's a music concert. But this event will specifically speak to issues around Roma. Yeah. Um, and he's a singer. He's a very accomplished flamenco yeah. singer. Yeah. Wow. So I, I, the flamenco singing's really amazing yeah, to hear so, live. And he's, you know, famous worldwide for that but it's part of what the Chan Center wants to do where there's the concert but when somebody has an interest in certain issues we also want to give those artists a chance to um, address those issues with other sort of uh, connected events and so that's an example of how we do that and they're not always at the Chan Center in this case that one's at the Colch Um, so just different ways of enhancing and adding to the experience of the concert. So if someone wants to be sort of involved and help support the Chan Centre and all the sort of related events that you do, what's, what's the best way? 
Um, oh, it would depend how they want to be involved. Um, there's different ways. I would probably direct them to um, another staff person to say, okay, what are you know, find out what they're interested in, how they would like to support us, and there's probably different opportunities that we can we can help them out with. Um, it, but it would really depend on what their interests and their skills mm-hmm. and, and their right. time availability would be. Right. Uh, well, there's subscriptions. I'm just seeing on the yeah. website, so you can subscribe to a series of events. Yes. Yeah, so, of course, ticket buying. We always have student for our series. We always have student prices. We really want to encourage students to attend. We have subscription series that can be for the whole thing, for all, I think, nine concerts this year, for individual um, selections. You know, you can do a three and four pack, things like that. Um, So, of course, supporting the Chan by coming is great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That would be the best. Well, and it's really a (laughs) top-notch concert hall. Can you just remind me when it was built? Because it wasn't that long ago. Well, it opened in 97. Okay. And it was designed by Bing Tom, who's an architect in town, and he's designed buildings all over the world. And so, yeah, we're coming up to, we're making plans for our 20th anniversary. Wow. We've got special things in mind that I can't divulge right now because they're not confirmed, but we're certainly making plans for that. I'm of that certain age where 20 years ago seems like not that long ago. But <laughs> <laughs> I know it goes fast. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's so beautiful inside. And then the Telus Studio Theater is that smaller space, more of an mm-hmm. intimate space and it's, more theatrical, right, with sort of Yeah, dark. it's a little black box theater, yeah. and it's very dramatic. It's a great little space, and we actually, it's used a lot by film companies in town for shoots that they do. Wonderful. Well, I'm so excited about the event on Friday. I'm I'm going to this wonderful sold-out event. Severin Cullis Suzuki, who's David Suzuki's daughter, she'll be doing a lecture portion or a talk. Um, And Tanya Tagak will be singing. And the theme is sort of the environment. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I appreciate you talking to us tonight. Oh, you're welcome. We'll see you there. Yeah, see you there, Wendy. Nice to chat. And I'm going to play a bit of Tanya Tagak right now. This is her song,
The 9th Independent and Nonpartisan British Columbia Electoral Boundaries Commission wants your input on the area, boundaries, and names of provincial electoral districts to be used for the next two provincial general elections. This democratic process is a unique opportunity for British Columbians to provide their views about how their communities are represented geographically in the Legislative Assembly. Views, submissions, and presentations may be made through an online submission form at www.bc-ebc.ca, by email to info at bc-ebc.ca, or by mail to Post Office Box 9275, Station Provincial Government, Victoria, BC, V8W 9J6. All submissions must be received by Sunday, November 16, 2014. Visit the Commission's website to learn about the Commission, how to join a public hearing, view current electoral district maps, and provide input at www.bc-ebc.ca. Hi, my name's Matthew. When I first got back from a military tour in Afghanistan, any time I heard a siren or even a car alarm, I'd lose it completely. I would turn into a wild man, screaming, waving my arms. People would yell at me, shut up you crazy, get a job, would ya? Well, I didn't go out and get a job. I got help instead. Now, I'm in a clean and safe apartment. I have friends and helpers who understand me. I landed a decent job, but I gotta admit, I still don't like car alarms or sirens. I used to think mental illness was a death sentence. I got life instead. This message was produced by Columbian Centre Society and Radio Malaspina in British Columbia. Hi, we're back on the Art Support. You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM. I'm the host for this evening, Sarah Lapsley. So I just had a lovely chat with Wendy Atkinson from the Chan Centre, and we talked mainly about the very exciting sold-out event. Um, so... I don't even know why I'm telling you about the event details because unless you have a ticket, it'll be hard to go. Um, but it's Severn, Cullis, Suzuki, and Tanya Tagak uh, this Thursday, October 16th at 7.30 and then also Friday at the same time. There's two performances. Um, so it's part of the Beyond Words series. Um, and Severn Cullis Suzuki is a passionate and public environmental activist since childhood. And I was actually reading about her online. Oh, she's sort of known as the daughter of David Suzuki, the great David Suzuki. Um, and she, as a child, like when she was nine or 10, don't you love kids that do this? Like when they're nine or 10, they do like some giant, great charitable act or invent something like so she started her own charity and traveled around the world speaking to audiences. So she's been doing this for a long time. Um, and she's the television host of the APTN series Samagan Water Stories. She's a scientist and a mom. She lives up in Haida Gwaii, which is really cool. I'd like to like move away with someone like to the country. Um, and then Tanya Tagak is like a major superstar, traditional Inuit throat singer. She just won the Polaris Prize. Um, and she's dazzling that's what it says here and I just played her song force and she really is she's like this force of nature and to me she kind of is this like wild goddess and it's like don't mess with the environment it's just her voice is so intense and powerful and uh, really and she's so masterful it's very exciting and it's very intense like it's not pretty uh, singing but it's extremely it's yeah, I mean, you have to hear it. And I, to, to see it and hear it live, I'm very, very excited. Sorry, I just kind of became lost in my own mind as I was thinking about it. Uh, she's also a film 
person, narrator, actor, and writer, um, and she'll be joined on stage by the acclaimed local violinist Jesse Zubot. So definitely, hopefully, you already have a ticket to that. But I think Rohit and I were talking last show about David Suzuki, and uh, he's a very famous scientist. He was a UBC professor for about 30 years. You know David Suzuki. Dan, yeah. <laughs> he's, 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 he's pretty renowned in most of the environmental programs. Yeah, he's like a giant. He's mm-hmm. like a Canadian giant. Mm-hmm. And you know what I was, and a brilliant genius guy and like a very friendly, happy guy, even in the face. Like he's like, hey, everybody, the environment's going to the pits, yet he's still gentle and sort of happy. And I was even reading about... Um, Today, his family was interned in the Second World War. He was of Japanese heritage, and his whole family was in an internment camp. He was seven years old, and they were interned, uh, and his family business was, like, just taken by the government. And yet he survived that, um, and he didn't become bitter. He, he spent his life devoting himself to, like, the environment and Canada, and so he's just really a stand-up guy, and... As I was telling Rohit last week, I think um, David Suzuki, his cousin, Al Suzuki, was my home form teacher in high school. And he was the coolest guy. Like, he looked a lot like David Suzuki. He was just super relaxed, which was good because I was a truant. And I'd come in with these really bad, faked notes. And he'd pretend that he believed them. And I thought he believed them. But looking back, there's no way he actually believed them. But he let me off the hook, like, so many times. Finally, I got, they caught on to me and I got sent to the principal's office but I have a very fond memory of Al Suzuki so excited about this event now enough about that Danielle's here first we're going to play her interview now I remember reading about this event being really excited and I was like this is perfect for Danielle to cover (laughs) so thank you for covering it you're welcome Um, and I'm excited to hear more about it. it's called Quantum and this is her interview with choreographer Gilles Jobin yep and here it is enjoy and we'll be back in a few minutes to talk more with Danielle. You're listening to the Arts Report. This is just loading on the computer. We are here with internationally renowned Swiss choreographer Gilles Jovan. Gilles is considered a pioneer in his field. He's been dancing and choreographing for nearly 20 years. He has won numerous awards for his work, and in March 2012, he was awarded the first Collide at CERN Geneva Prize in dance. He was then allowed the opportunity to complete a three-month artist residency program at CERN. Since then, he has created Quantum, a piece that demonstrates those same physics concepts he learned through contemporary dance. So you won the Collide at CERN Prize in dance in Geneva, and you had to write a proposal. Tell me a little bit about your proposal prior to winning the award, and then describe your residency at CERN and how it influenced and inspired the overall choreographic process for Quantum. Okay. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so I decided to apply for this for this residency because it was for me a unique opportunity uh, to spend some time working on the fundamental research. Uh, in our field, uh, we, what we do is we produce the dance pieces, and uh, uh, the, the, the research part of it is, gets always a bit squeezed out of, of the project. Uh, so it was really interesting for me to be, uh, during three or four months, I really totally dedicated to, uh, to thinking um, and, and searching. So my, my proposal, I was looking for what I call movement generators. And the movement generators, what I mean by, by that, 
is uh, is uh, some systems, is like algorithm that I would uh, uh, teach to the dancers, and then the dancers they have all those information, and with this information they can start to generate their own phrases or their own movement. And uh, those movements, uh, normally the, the, the instructions are quite uh, precise or precise enough, so the type of movement that they will make uh, uh, corresponds uh, to what I expect. So it's not exactly uh, what I want, but uh, it's really in the right direction. So that's what I was trying to find inside the uh, quantum mechanics, uh, particle physics, to see if uh, inside this there was some um, rules that I could apply uh, to generate movement. And uh, actually, uh, it was a little bit difficult uh, at first. Uh, also, I had to get, uh, you know, to understand what they were doing. is a very important lab, and they're doing, like, really uh, very extreme uh, research. And it was uh, difficult to grab the whole, uh, the, whole the, the, the greatest picture. Uh, but then, little by little, I started to understand. And uh, with the support of some scientists, some of physicists, uh, later with some uh, scientific advisors, they started to give me some good uh, uh, um, indication or really help me to, to, to narrow my research and, uh, and come out with some, uh, some results. So these advisors, so they uh, stayed with you for, they helped you, advised you on quantum during your choreographic process. Um, so tell me a little bit about that process in terms of how you went back and forth. Was it more that you proposed a, a, a scenario or you had your dancers do something and uh, how, how did that process kind of work out? Okay, so this, this came after the, the residency. So, you know, I finished the residency, I did my final lecture, and I thought, well, okay, now uh, I, want, I want to make a piece. Uh, but for me, it was really essential to have uh, some physicists in my own lab, which is my dance studio. Uh, I've been embedded into their lab, and they needed to come into my lab, uh, because they needed to be into my ground and, and uh, like, more precisely on my uh, purpose, uh, which was to make a dance piece. So what I do, what I did with them, we, we spoke, uh, because I asked them, I said, look, I want to do uh, every movement I would make, I want them to, be, to have a certain level of coherence with, uh, with physics. I don't want to make something which is a la physique, you know, like influenced or inspired by, and with a loose kind of interpretation of what it is, and just like an aesthetic uh, uh, approach. I want it to have like a really mechanical approach to, to physics. So I showed them what I had. I was very much interested in... Uh, uh, non-contact forces, uh, because the, you know, the four fundamental forces in nature are all non-contact forces. The only one we feel is gravity, and all the others are electromagnetic force, or the weak force, the strong force, that are really kind of very powerful, and they're always there. Matter holds together, we hold together, and that has nothing to do with gravity. Um, so I thought, hmm, that's interesting, you know, because a dancer, choreographer, works with his body, contact is very important. Uh, so I thought, how can I uh, relate, put people together without uh, contact? Uh, because everything holds together without contact. And I thought, okay, so maybe that's one way uh, to put it. So that wasn't the, of the thing, for, for example. But then we talked about uh, symmetries. And uh, there is many different symmetries in uh, particle physics. To me, there was only two. There was either symmetrical or asymmetrical. But it's not like that. There's many other types of symmetries. So that's why the physicists, for instance, they really helped us because uh, they showed us, they explained us uh, the different types of symmetries and they suggested some types of symmetries. We would put them into action and then they would look at what we do and say, well, okay, I mean, that's, that's the way to put it. We can say that this is coherent. There's no rupture of the symmetry. Uh, it's working. It's, um, 
it's, uh, it's correct. Another good example, we worked with the Feynman diagrams, which are those diagrams that uh, Richard Feynman, uh, he's from California, he was from California actually, and he invented uh, those diagrams to, to draw instead of uh, doing math. So uh, they taught uh, the two physicists, uh, Nicolas Chanon and Michael Dozer, they taught the dancers how to draw their own diagrams to uh, uh, create uh, the movement interactions. Um, and that was really amazing to see how quickly the dancers uh, understood the system and, and uh, started to, to draw their own diagrams uh, to create those interactions. So that, that was the kind of, that's the way I was collaborating with them. It was really about a dialogue, then we would take on what they, what they told us and then try to, to, make, uh, to make something out of it. And then the next session they would come and say, well, okay, that's, you're in the right direction. That could be explained like that. Or no, that's 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 not correct. There's a, there's a rupture of symmetry, for instance, or something that is not correct. That's great. So, um, in terms of music and costumes and lighting, how did you and the other uh, producers or uh, persons in charge work together and prepare this piece? Well, this was uh, very special. Uh, it is what uh, uh, Ariane Cook from the the Kaleidoscope program calls a creative collision. Uh, it was not meant to be. Um, the, 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 the music, I was already in relation with Carascaletti. I worked with her a little bit, but I didn't know that uh, she was so much interested and passionate about CERN and about particle physics in general. And uh, she's uh, working in this uh, field which is called sonification. So they, 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 they make uh, music sound out of uh, data. So I thought that she was the perfect person to, to make the music of the piece, and uh, we managed for her to get uh, access to some real data from the LHC. So she started to compose the music using data that is coming from this experiment. Um, so that's already quite special. Then in the light, the light is not really is not a light design. It's a, it's a visual art installation by uh, Julius von Bismarck, and Julius von is the German artist, and Julius was resident uh, before me. Uh, in CERN, uh, and uh, in his final lecture, he presented this piece that he did after his residency, which is uh, made with four lamps, uh, based uh, four industrial lamps based on the pendulum principle, and they're, they're, they're hanging over the stage, and they start to move synchronously and start to be desynchronized. And uh, it was just an art piece with nobody <coughs> under more than just you know the audience from a museum. And I thought, oh, but that's a fantastic uh, installation to. to for, for a dance piece, and uh, so I spoke to Julius, and he said, yeah, I always thought that, about that, and uh, we did it. I mean, it came uh, very quickly, so there's really, like, three different layers. It's not some, I mean, nobody's at the service of the other. There's really, like, you know, I developed my movement out of the, those uh, principles of particle physics. Julius made his piece. We put it on top of the dance, and from underground come the music from Carla Scaletti that is composed out of all this data that collect, they collect 100 meters on the ground. So, you know, you have those industrial labs, you know, sending uh, this, this, the, all those particles of light on top of us. <coughs> the, the space is constantly moving. The music is filling the space in the quadriphonic uh, diffusion. So there is, it's, it's really like, a, um, like fields almost, you know, like ev every aspect of what we do uh, it's like it's like a, a, a field uh, that is an, um, like a charge that is applied to a system, and the system is, is the space where we perform. That's great. So, 
you did you spoke about some of the challenges and problems you faced while creating quantum you know just the dialogue between the advisors and just coming together to make a, a great piece so are there were there any more challenges and how did you overcome them Oh, there was many challenges. One of them, that the creation of the piece was made in CERN CMS. Uh, so it's one of the big, there is four detectors on the, on the LHC, the Large Hadron Collider, and uh, CMS is one of them. That's where a collision happens. It's a huge, uh, enormous detector, uh, the size of a cathedral, and uh, they, that's where collision happens, and all those, those data comes out of those collisions. So we were lucky enough to be uh, dancing exactly on top of this detector because it's buried, it's one, uh, me 100 meters underground, but they, they have this concrete floor that opens and, and they, they, they use this hole to uh, bring down pieces and pull up pieces and, and work on the, on the detector. So we, we were lucky enough to be able to dance exactly on top of this detector when, the, when this concrete floor is, is closed. So. Um, the challenge that was we were creating the piece inside a, a working lab. So we had a lot of engineers and people with crane people moving piece, bits and pieces around us. We had to coordinate the creation of the piece with a functioning lab. They were very busy because at the time uh, LHC uh, was, was stopped and they were upgrading. So they, they had really to be very inventive to let us uh, be there and, uh, and keep on working on what they were doing. So that was one of the challenges and the, the connection with the, the, the science in general and, and, and the lab in general. Um, I mean, it's not uh, a normal environment to create a dance piece. Mm. So that was challenging. Uh, to, to be able to, to, to make it happen on site on CERN, it was very important for me to do the premiere. I wanted to create the piece on site. Uh, and it's only later that it became a theater, a theater piece. And this is what we're going to present uh, in Vancouver and here in San Francisco as well, is the theatrical version of the piece. I'm glad you mentioned um, San Francisco because uh, Quantum's doing a world tour for the... Sorry, that just kind of cut off unexpectedly. Yeah, I don't know why it did that. <laughs> it just suddenly said there was an error. And Whoa. I just made an executive decision to just <laughs> come back on. Good call. Good call. Um, but, so, what? why don't you fill us in what happened? Sorry, that was just a couple minutes left. What yeah, um, he was talking about the tour. So, CERN is having a 60th anniversary celebration, and um, his performance is one of the pieces that are being celebrated. And they're on tour, so they're currently, well, they were last week in, um, I think it was San Francisco, and they're going to be in Vancouver starting tomorrow and all the way to, through to Saturday, so that's October 16th to 18th. Um, at the Scotiabank uh, Dance Center, and it's going to be playing at 8 p.m. Uh, tickets are $30, $22 for students and seniors, and you can f get tickets from www.tickets-tonight.ca, or you can visit the dancecenter.ca for more info. But he was talking more about um, what he loved about being on tour, because after Vancouver, he goes to South America, he goes back to Europe and I think he actually goes to South America twice. He's going to go to Chile and Brazil. It's it's amazing, and he says um, the best part is working with all these different people, getting to travel all around the world, doing what you love, and then presenting your piece to the world. And it was yeah, he's he's definitely a, an artistic genius <laughs> in a sense. And I'm it, you can you can hear it when he speaks. He's he's very passionate about what he's doing and and how he he, he it's it's being received by the public. And I get to see it tomorrow um, 
And I'm really excited about that because, you know, people, they always present arts and science as this, you know, the warring two paths, they can't agree, they're polar opposites. And he's essentially taken these physics concepts and tried to infuse them with dance or, or, or try to portray them or demonstrate them through dance. And it's it's as as a lot of the description of quantum is, it's just it's a collision of arts and science. And so I'm really excited to go and view it and to see it. And I think it will be amazing. And I am sincerely encourage everyone to check it out and go to tonight's uh to tickets tonight.ca to see if they can get tickets wow if there's any medium that's appropriate for talking about physics it's kind of dance yeah in a way yeah you I, i don't think you can get any uh better with that media except for dance i don't think you can do it in singing could you no <laughs> well you could sing about physics but i mean we are physical beings, beings i know yeah. it's not in the same meaning but we're limited by physics. physics yeah we can't fly we can't do this or that yeah mm-hmm. at the same time we're quite miraculous mm-hmm. you know it, yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about at all. I'm just going to say that right now. I've tried, but... (laughs) Last time I studied physics was first year, so I'm not an expert. (laughs) That, I don't, I, I I can't think of any even physics concept. Like, can you give me an example? Like mass? Is Uh, that, no. uh, There are three laws of motion. Um, Motion. Yeah. I think the first law was uh, for every action is an equal and opposite reaction. Okay. That's the only thing I can remember, I think. Yeah. It's kind of a law, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's the law of motion, yeah one of i think yeah <laughs> oh my god yeah i just know like dumb new age concepts like the law of attraction and stuff like that mm-hmm. wow i just revealed myself as completely ignorant but um no i like what you said about arts and sciences but there's way more of a push for people to bring them together people have a hunger to bring them together like yeah. we've had people from the biodiversity museum come in and talk about you know, different initiatives. There's been quite a few that I've come across because people are hungry. It's like knowledge and experience. and Yeah, I know. think people are looking for new creative ideas to or ways to express themselves and to explore new meaning in this world. And when you push for those things, it just brings about a limitless, a limitless creativity that you, you, you wouldn't ordinarily see with, when you try to separate them or keep them apart. So the fact that they're merging them or, or you know, trying to explain one through the other is amazing. Because, mm-hmm. like... Love and as a theme kind of gets it does get tired, yeah. you know, <laughs> as a bit of an artistic inspiration. That, that is so true, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. You must be really looking forward to seeing it. I am. Yeah, it's tomorrow at eight, and it runs through to Saturday at Scotiabank Dance Center. Nice. Any other things coming up you want to see? Um, not that I know of. Not just not just yet, but. I am open to any and all suggestions. <laughs> oh, good. Well, there's so many events, so mm-hmm. yeah. definitely I'll send you out on some <laughs> more reporting. Thank we you. need. There's lots of Halloween events. Yeah. Carrie means... the Musical. Oh. Yeah, and there's a zombie one I read an article about and also got an email about nice. where you, it's sort of technology, like you go to, it's a site in the city and they text you and you like clues and you find zombies and what no. yeah so fun that's halloween a, things to that's do that's amazing yeah <laughs> okay i will check that I out mean, there's a lot going on in the city an overwhelming amount that's of great. arts events going on in the city yeah i think it's well it is that time right everyone's in that mode 
Well, I always say that, like, oh, it's the fall, it's time. Yeah. But everything blasted through in the summer as well. Like, really? there's a constant yeah, that turn is of, true. Of, that, yeah, of like festivals and, and events. And music and, 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 and theater, right? Yeah. Especially during the summer, yeah. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I'm going to talk about the Rodney Graham exhibition. Now, last week we ran out of time. And I said I was going to choose between two things to talk about. And I chose to talk about St. Joan, the play about Joan of Arc that's at the um, Stanley Theater. The event that I didn't talk about was the Rodney Graham exhibition at the Charles H. Scott Gallery. And then I noticed that the Charles H. Scott Gallery shared the post where I said I would talk about Rodney's event and didn't. So I felt incredible guilt. So I'm making sure that I give it lots of time today. Although um, I've talked a lot about Rodney over the years I've been on the Arts Report. Um, partially because I'm just very familiar with his work and partially because he's really a jewel in the crown of the Vancouver art scene. Um, he's a real genius and he's um, really prolific in the amount of art he produces. He, he shows internationally, but lately he's been doing quite a bit locally. Like he likes to keep current you know he's very motivated um and he has a lot of like nuggets of wisdom for younger artists that you know he's shared with me over the years and it's really kind of even though I'm like kind of not that creative it, it's it's stuck in my mind the things that he said and he certainly um had an interesting turn of events in his life he's pretty open about um other people in his he attended UBC um and worked at the liquor store to support himself and other friends of his like Jeff Wall and his social scene became very successful artists and he didn't uh, and he worked at the liquor store from the time he was 25 till the time when he was 45 years old but he kept plugging away at his art he didn't give up other people would have become despondent yeah. and just given up yeah he didn't and at 45 he got a big break and got to show um his work at the Venice Biennale and he got discovered and became hugely successful and became one of the top artists in the world. His work sells for hundreds of thousands of dollars. His best work sells for close to $800,000 if you go to the gallery site. So, uh, and some of the public works of art he does here at UBC um, are priceless, like the carriage. Do you know the carriage? It's over here by the big tower. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a camera obscura. There's an upside-down camera. Mm -hmm. It's like a 19th century carriage. Yeah. Um, so he's done a lot of things. But um, And I recently went, May 31st, went to his event at the Bob Rennie Gallery. So he's done sort of a series of three interrelated shows recently. One was at the Bob Rennie Gallery. One was at the Belkin Gallery. And now this one is at the Charles H. Scott Gallery, affiliated with the Emily Carr University, I think they're a university now. So it opens September 17th, but it's on till November 16th. And it says, The gallery is pleased to present a solo show by esteemed Vancouver artist Rodney Graham. The exhibition is primarily comprised of the artist's recent paintings, with a focus on works that were produced as props for such artworks as The Gifted Amateur, Pipe Cleaner Artist, My Late Early Styles, and Lobbing Potatoes at a Gong. So what he does is he creates these tableaus and photographs them, and he's kind of the central character. So they're elaborate sets, um, and they're beautifully done. And then he'll often paint, have his own paintings sort of in the background. Um, and so, you know, his paintings aren't as well received as these larger scale photographic works, 
But if I was a buyer of art, I would be buying up these paintings because they're incredible. Uh, he turned seriously to painting in 2003, I remember that time, uh, producing heavy impasto paintings, like thick oil paintings kind of dabbed on, and gestural monochromes that make reference to modernist masters such as Pablo Picasso, Lucio Fontana, and Casimir Malevich. Um, and one, so a lot of his paintings are there. Um, among the many works in the exhibition is Black Tapestry, a series of black square paintings made on multiple copies of the record cover of Carol King's, Carol King's 1971 masterpiece, Tapestry. Do you know that record? No, I don't. She's a famous songwriter. She wrote a lot of hits for other people, but she recorded some of her own, her mm -hmm. best albums, Tapestry. Mm -hmm. um, and so he paints on, on her um, album covers. So you can go see these. This is a, a good chance to see some of his paintings close up. Um, Robin Lawrence, who's a critic for the George Strait, Boo, wrote kind of a nasty review. So I'm just, I don't know if it's a he or she, but I disapprove of the review. He or she had no right to criticize those paintings. Um, but one thing that struck me, I have this little... Um, kind of booklet from the Charles H. Scott Gallery. I'm just like rambling at kind of a frantic pace. Like, um, it has a write-up of the show and it has some photographs of his paintings. And one struck my eye that I've never seen before. And it's sort of a, a neutral background and with a short text on it. And it says, Ezek, period, E-Z-E-K, period, 40 to 42. So I believe this is a reference to the book of Ezekiel in the Bible, chapters 40 to 42. And I thought, I wonder what's in, like he's, he's sort of directing you to go to the Bible mm. and knowing that Rodney is completely atheistic. I'm like, what's in this chapter? And I became very excited to look up what was in the Bible. And I said, before I looked at it, I bet it is some kind of, architectural looping kind of theme and I was totally right <laughs> so um and it reminded me of his book Landor's Cottage and I'm very very fortunate I'm rubbing it right now to have a, a signed copy uh it's called The System of Landor's Cottage and um it's a book that Rodney wrote or it's a text that Rodney wrote and it just reminded me, he doesn't do a lot of writing, but it just reminded me of what incredible writer he he is. And I'm going to read a bit of, of what he said, but essentially he takes a, a story by Edward Allen, Ed, Edgar Allen, Allen, thank you. Edgar Allen Poe. <laughs> Poe. And there's a scene, I can't remember what story it is, he'll talk about it. Um, there's a story where the character comes to a cottage and Rodney decides he wants to kind of extrapolate on this cottage. So he creates like a chunk of new text and it inserts it into the original story. And it's, it's this theme that is constantly in this, his work of this looping back eternally. Um, so he kind of talks about what he has done. I said extrapolated, but he says interpolation. So he's smarter than me. Um, so I'll just read a little bit about the first interpolating he did. 
He said, in the early 80s, wanting to write a book, I intervened in a text by Sigmund Freud, interpolating my own text into one of the three analyses of his so-called dream of the botanical monograph in his book, The Interpretation of Dreams. My interpolation, which interrupted Freud in mid-sentence and continued in his voice, manifested itself in the addition of four pages of additional interpretive material to his analysis of the glaucoma day daydream. So um, he published this eventually. So he did the same thing in Landor's Cottage. Um, and he said, after co the completion of the Freud project, which I deemed successful, um, I was emboldened to try more ambitious, sustained exercise and interpolation. Um, and he talks about his process. He said, I came across in the Vancouver Public Library, which bore on its obverse several words from Edgar Allan Poe's final story, Landor's Cottage in what was apparently a translating assignment for his assistant. I, en I encountered what appeared to me and recommended itself as the ideal host text. Text. So he talks about um, Landers Cottage was really a magazine piece, uh, which in a later age would have been a pictorial, recounting by a narrator who finds himself lost during a trek in the Hudson River Valley. And he asked the owner of a small cottage for directions. So as a short text about a very small house and its surroundings, seemed to me that the work might be transformed into an instance of another higher genre by continuing the descriptive procedure and pursuing the simple accretion of architectural detail through which Poe's thin wafer of text might be transformed into a brick of more substantial and properly novelistic proportions. So he's describing his sort of process of discovering the story Landor's Cottage and then he does interpolate sort of a, a, a loop of text and then he published that to great success and he's such a wonderful writer like when I uh read that I just realized the world is missing out that he doesn't do more writing and I just it reminded me how fond I am of him so I just thought I'm going to bore you absolutely to death so this this painting isn't he hasn't written anything but in a sense he has he has riffed on this theme of interpolation and, and, and kind of looping and architectural details. He's referencing Lander's Cottage, really, by directing the reader to the book of Ezekiel 40 to 42. So I'm just going to have my Bible here that belonged to my great aunt Sadie. Rest in peace. Um, if I can find it. I used to win in Bible drills. I used to know the exact order of the books of the Bible, and I don't anymore. I won't bore you to death, but... I kind of also want to. Here it is, Ezekiel. And so, yeah, like I said, I didn't know what was in this, but I figured it was architectural detail. And sure enough, it is the most dry architectural detail. It could kill you to read it. So I'm just going to read a few verses, and then I'm going to play a song, and then I want you to stay tuned to CITR 101.9 FM for all ears. So here it is. Thank you, Rodney, for directing us to Ezekiel, chapter 40 to 42. In the fifth and twentieth year of our captivity, in the beginning of the year, in the tenth day of the month, in the fourteenth year after that, the city was smitten. In the selfsame day, the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me thither. Actually, this isn't the architectural part. Um, so, and it said, And behold, a wall on the outside of the house, round about, and in the man's hand a measuring reed of six cubits long by the cubit, and a handbreadth. So he measured the breadth of the building, one reed and the height, one reed. 
Then he came unto the gate which looketh toward the east, and went up the stairs thereof, and measured the threshold of the gate which was one reed broad, and the other threshold of the gate which was one, one reed broad. And every little chamber was one reed long and one reed broad. And between the little chambers were five cubits, and the threshold of the gate by the porch of the gate was within one reed. He measured also the porch of the gate within one reed. Then measured he the porch of the gate eight cubits, and the posts thereof two cubits, and the porch of the gate was inward. And the little chambers of the gate eastward were three on this side and three on that side. They three were of one measure, and the posts had one measure on this side and on that side. And it goes on literally ad nauseum for mm -hmm. several pages. So unless it's some kind of code, like numeric code for some kind of mystical truth, I think it's basically a really boring part of the Bible that they should maybe take out. <laughs> but that was fun for me. Hopefully it was also fun for you to listen to. Um, but check out the show while you can at the Charles H. Scott Gallery. It's on until November 16th, and I'm sorry I didn't talk about this last year. So in addition to being an incredible photographer painter, writer, he's also a musician. And I've played this song before. Um, oh, I don't know if I can play it. For some reason there's an error and it won't play. Out of errors, if it won't play, then I'll have to play something else. Um, this one is my favorite. It's called How to Avoid an Imbroglio. But it doesn't seem to be playing. You can also watch uh, Ronnie Graham's Vexation Island, his actual film, a uh, looping film that, that sort of made his career at the Venice Biennale. It's here on YouTube. I'm going to play this one instead. This is a song called A Little Thought with a corresponding video that I know has been shown in different galleries um, that was made by his partner, Shannon Oxen. And so this one's called A Little Thought. So thank you for listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Thanks, Danielle, for coming in. You're welcome. And that was great. Have fun at the CERN show tomorrow. Thank you. Okay. And see you next week. This is Sarah. A little thought gone astray Can leave your mind in disarray At least that's why I heard you say When you drove that jag Up on someone's lawn When we hit the porch with the headlights on